If we then have a look at what's happening now, we find that about 80% of the population don't eat, don't exercise. And those 80% are allowing themselves to become victims, if you want to call it that way, of what are called diseases of aging. Now, these diseases of aging can be controlled. What are the diseases of aging? There's about 20 of them, and I won't go through all of them because it gets boring, but they're the very common diseases. There's heart disease, vascular disease, hypertension, strokes, some cancers, and non-alcoholic liver disease. So you see, when I talk about the disease of aging, I want everybody, please, who's listening to this podcast to understand that I'm talking about those diseases which are dependent upon our lifestyle. Hi, I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. This episode, we have a very special guest, and that's the voice you heard in the beginning. That's Dr. Norman Lazarus. I've shared with you, there are a couple different ways I have of getting guests. One, PR people reach out to me. They're, they're representing somebody who's maybe written a book or has something coming out. And, and if, if, if they have the qualifications to be on the show, I'll have them on. And just so you know, I look at, I don't want to have just anybody who knows something about fitness on the podcast my primary qualifications for coming on the show are having some kind of advanced degree, a master's degree, a PhD, a, a, an MD, a medical, a medical degree. Another qualify, the bare minimum qualification that I, I look for is a certification, is a fitness certification. I want to bring you the top experts in their field. So I don't just invite anybody onto the podcast. Another way I get guests are colleagues, friends that I have in the fitness industry People who are doing interesting stuff and, yes, have the, have their credentials. Now, other, other places where I get guests are through what I read. And I recently finished my book, Ageless Intensity. Ageless Intensity is now actually available for pre-sale. If you want to pre-order or, or do a yeah, pre-order a copy of Ageless Intensity, in Ageless Intensity, I go through the science of how high-intensity exercise allows you to manage the aging process. There'll be a link down below in the show notes. You can pre-order Ageless Intensity now. It'll be out this summer, the summer of 2021. But that's why I'm so excited to have Dr. Lazarus on as a guest because I came across him when I was doing the research for Ageless Intensity. Dr. Lazarus is originally from South Africa. He has a medical degree. He's an MD. He spent time studying in the United States. He is a PhD. He's now a professor in the United Kingdom. And his specialty is healthy aging. Dr. Lazarus conducts the research on healthy aging. In fact, he, he's taking, you can do what I do and, and look up his research and read the studies, or you can pick up a copy of his book, The Lazarus Method for Aging Well. I'm going to have a link down to that in the show notes below. So again, Dr. Lazarus has taken his research. He's written the book, The Lazarus Method for Aging Well. And you can go down the show notes, check that out. And what we talk about today 
and it's a process of healthy aging. And what I came across when I came across Dr. Lazarus's research, he has an interesting hypothesis. Now, when you look at many studies, when we look at many studies on exercise in older adults, the problem is the researchers will take a group of older adults, maybe 60, 70 years old. These people may or may not be already active. And what they'll do is they'll have they'll take a group of 60-year-olds and have them follow an exercise program for a period of time. And they'll, they'll report about did, they, did it improve their health? What was the outcomes of doing this exercise program? But here's the problem. For those of us that are active, for those of us who are active, for those of us who make exercise a priority, if we are active every day, if we exercise regularly, research on a bunch of sedentary 60-year-olds doesn't really help us that much. It really doesn't. Where Dr. Lazarus differs is Dr. Lazarus puts out the hypothesis that if you really, if you truly want to understand healthy aging, if you really want to truly understand how exercise affects the aging body, we need to be studying masters athletes, runners, cyclists, swimmers, people who are competing in sports throughout the aging process. And not only does Dr. Lazarus study this, but he, he's done this. He's a cyclist. He's in his mid-80s. And I really, it's funny, I look at this, and I'm in my late 40s myself, but I want to be like Dr. Lazarus when I grow up. He's in his mid-80s. He's very active. He's still teaching. He is still an active professor in the United Kingdom teaching his students about healthy aging. That's why I invited him. That's why I reached out to him and invited him to come on the podcast. And you, the accent is very interesting. It's South African combined with, with a British accent. It's a very interesting accent, but really I look at this as what can we learn? I don't know about you, but I want to age successfully. I want to age as healthy as possible. As I get into my 50s and in my 60s, I want to be able to, to do all the activities I enjoy doing. That's why when I look to somebody like Dr. Lazarus, there's a lot we can learn, not only from an academic standpoint, but from a, from a practical standpoint. Because he's in his 80s and still active, we can learn about his research and what he's done on the research side, but I also want to learn about what he's done on the practical standpoint. How has he lived his life? That's why it's an honor, and it truly is an honor to have him as a guest for this episode. Now, if you want to continue to learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, if you want to learn how to use exercise to manage the aging process, then please go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's PeteMcCallFitness.com. I blog about this. I blog about how we can use exercise to enhance all areas of our life. My definition of fitness is that fitness is having the freedom to do what we want to do when we want to do it. If you want to walk on a stage, that's your freedom. If you want to be able to play with your kids without getting out of breath, that's your freedom. If you go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, you sign up for my mailing list, I will send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. You'll get one or two high-quality blogs a month, direct your email box about how to do that, how to use fitness to find your freedom, about how to use fitness to enhance your quality of life. On this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast, it truly is an honor to have the author of The Lazarus Method of Aging Well. He's a researcher, he's a medical doctor, he's a professor, Dr. Norman Lazarus. Today on the All About Fitness Podcast, it's an honor to have Dr. Norman Lazarus, who has done extensive study in the field of, of aging and, and most importantly, aging well. And to start the conversation, what I want to do is read the World Health Organization definition of aging. 
WHO defines healthy aging as a process of developing and maintaining the functional ability that enables well-being in older age. So my first question to you, doctor, well, first of all, how are you doing today? I mean, we've already had oh, some pleasantries. Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. And I must say, having studied in America for a long time and then come to the UK and enjoyed my time there at the universities and uh, I'm grateful to the American education that I had, it's really a pleasure for me to be able to talk to people in the United States who are interested in aging, which is a subject which is close to my heart. So thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Certainly. And what, what I like about your work, doctors, you take a very um, realistic look at it. And I want to t- I'll ask you one or two questions about your research in a little bit. But the first question I want to ask is why should we, I'm 48 years old. And, and what I try to do is I try to communicate with people who are in my age group, like my generation, Generation X. We were all born between about 1964 and about 1979, give or take. And my what I've been trying to get people thinking about is that at our age, in our 40s and in our early 50s, yes, we can still be concerned about appearance. I mean, I live in Southern California and everybody is concerned about their appearance. But when, we, when it comes to exercise, what I'm trying to get people to think about is exercise can really help us control the aging process. So the question, the first question I want to ask is, why should we be concerned about healthy aging? I mean, why is that something that really should be top of mind as we reach this, this kind of period in our lives? Steve, thanks for asking that question, incidentally. And the reason we need to think about healthy aging, especially if I can put it in people who are approaching about 50 years of age. If we look at the WHO stats, which they're predicting, these are not my predictions, so don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) In about 2050, right, that is 30 years from now, and 30 years from now sounds a long time, but believe me, it just goes in a flash. In 30 years from now, there are going to be about 500 million people who are 80 and over. Mm. In fact, there are going to be 2 billion people who are over 65. So the whole demographic of the world is changing, and it's changing very quickly. If we then have a look at what's happening now, we find that about 80% of the population don't eat, don't exercise. And those 80% are allowing themselves to become victims, if you want to call it that way, of what are called diseases of aging. Now, these diseases of aging can be controlled. What are the diseases of aging? There's about 20 of them, and I won't go through all of them because it gets boring, but they're the very common diseases. There's heart disease, vascular disease, hypertension, strokes, some cancers, and non-alcoholic liver disease. So you see, when I talk about the disease of aging, I want everybody, please, who's listening to this podcast to understand 
that I'm talking about those diseases which are dependent upon our lifestyle. And I do not talk about those diseases over which we have no control. If you have a genetic malfunction which gives you a disease, that is not a lifestyle disease. That is beyond your control. So I'm not talking about those diseases. I'm speaking specifically about the diseases I've mentioned which are under our control. Aging diseases, or my term for it better, are lifestyle diseases which occur in old age because they take a long time to develop. Recently, however, if you have a look, because people have such a horrendous lifestyle, these diseases now are beginning to creep to a younger and younger age. So you'll see that although we might say type 2, type two diabetes is a disease of the older people, it's now hitting 30-year-olds as other diseases. So these lifestyle diseases are, in fact, no more. We really cannot label as aging diseases. They're just lifestyle diseases which can hit right across the population. Well, let me, if I can ask you a question, and, and, I, know, and I always make the point on, on my podcast, doctor, is, is that a good scientist, I mean, you're a medical doctor and you're, you have a PhD, good scientists don't know anything definitively. Good scientists go based on their observations. And one of the questions I have for you is what is the current, what is, what is the prevailing theory right now about why we age? Like what I know the passage of time, chronology is one issue, but when we look at our tissues and why our bodies degrade over time, what is, I know there are different theories out there, but what are one or two of the mo more prevailing theories about how and why aging affects our body the way it does? Okay. Again, as you so rightly say, aging, healthy aging, there's nothing known about it. You say nothing? Well, hardly anything, because I invite anyone of the audience again, pick up a medical textbook, look up in the context and see whether you can find healthy human aging. I challenge you, pick up any textbook you like. It doesn't exist. The whole structure of the way we look at our physiology is based on a disease model. Mm. And that disease model says we are divided or stuck together by all kinds of systems. There's a mental system, there's the heart, there's the lungs, there's a the liver. I could go through them and I'm sure the people listening to know all about that. But now I want somebody who's an exercise to stand in front of the mirror, please, and have a look there. Do you think that you are a collection of these systems or are you in fact an integrated physiological organism there is no mind. Where does the mind, is, is the mind in a bottle? Where is this mind that we talk about? The mind only exists because it's got a body. Where is this body? The body only works because it's got a mind. Every organ only works because it's got another organ next to it. The mind talks to the body 
billions of times every second and reciprocal in and reciprocal information is going so the first thing we got to do is understand that healthy aging is an integrated physiological organism and we got to understand that disease is a disintegrating organism and we can look at that in the system based approach but to be honest with you that is like 19th century physiology that kind of attitude that kind of approach does not fit well with the integrated system of healthy aging that we aged people who are healthy are i wish your audience could have a look at me and they could ask themselves looking at me whether they look like i'm disintegrating i'm certainly aging but i'm not disintegrating okay now we've got to say how can i get onto the path that allows me to age in an integrated coherent way and how do i not get on the path which causes me to go down into this disintegrated physiology which is a disease pathway we need to step back we need to think of who we are and where we came from our hominoid forebears 40,000 years ago that's all and you think oh 40,000 years is long no in genetics 40,000 years is hardly yesterday and you got to think about how did these people live men and women only survived because they could hunt think about it there is no other way you can survive you can have a, a fur coat you can have a lovely hat you can have footwear you can have a cave to living if you can't eat you die ah. and the only way you can get prey as a human is to hunt it and chase it and we are superbly adapted our physiology is superbly adapted to chase prey and catch it so one of the pillars of our survival as a species was that we have developed by evolution and who knows how evolution does it there's no mind working these things just happen by accident we've developed a physiological system which is absolutely directed to being able to hunt which means it's directed to exercise well, so you can sorry no, please go on well it's interesting you say that because as you describe that doctor years ago i i heard somebody in a lecture talk about that that but we used to as a species you know even as much as 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 recently as 100 years ago which isn't that long maybe maybe a little bit more maybe now about 140 years ago that if we wanted food you showed me a, a beautiful picture of your garden just a, a few moments ago before we started recording and you have a nice big wide garden yard if 140 years ago you'd be out there working 4 or 5 hours a day to whether you had whether you had cattle whether you had sheep or whether you were growing vegetables 
but you'd be expending energy in order to make the food that gives you energy. And now, and for listeners, what I'm going to do is hold up my, my phone. Now, what we can do here in the States, and I'm sure you can probably do in the UK, is I can sit on my couch and swipe my phone a few times and have 4,000 calories delivered to me without having to get up off the couch except to go to the door and, and pay, pay the delivery guy. I, I think, is that one of the things that's actually causing us to, I mean, that, that, that's an example, though, of how our modern lifestyle can accelerate aging and lead to that disintegration that you talked about. Is that not? Yeah, that's true. Again, I think I'd like to, again, just put it slightly differently. First of all, I think the evidence is there, but I'm not sure. So this is a hypothesis, but I think the evidence is there and it's slowly coming out in both the publications on healthy aging. And the the evidence I'm talking about is that we, in the 40,000 years since we became humanoids, have the same aging process, you and me. And then you're gonna say, well, why do we look so different? That's gonna come, okay. So if we have the same aging process, you start from the perspective that your aging process and my aging process keeps the same tempo all the time. That's built into our physiology. I cannot change that tempo. But what I can do is I can affect the tissues on which the aging process operates. Let us say we'll make an analogy. It's always difficult to make biological analogies, but I'll try and do it. Let us say that aging process is a saw, okay? And that saw goes at the same pace and the same pressure all the time. You can't change it. Now, let's say I take a fresh loaf of bread and I give it to the soul. So it just cuts through that bread easily. Not only that, there are crumbs and everything spilling it out and makes a mess. Now let me take a frozen bread and I give it to it. Same course, same action, but the effort now in order for that saw to cut slices of bread increases and the amount of slices that can be obtained in any time period falls. So in other words, we have influenced the cutting of the bread. So let us go back to biology now. So we've got the same aging process operating in everybody. If we have the correct lifestyle, we have a honed body, which means that the impact of the aging process on that body, right, is totally different from the impact of that aging process on the body which is not honed. Now you begin to see that what I'm trying to uh, develop for you is that there are 
two phenotypes mm. operating. There's the phenotype of those people who are living the correct lifestyle, and there's the phenotype of those people who are not. The correct lifestyle accounts for about 20% of the population everywhere in the world. The phenotype of the sedentary counts for 80% of the population. And if you go out into the streets, you will now easily demarcate between those people who are on the sedentary pathway and those people who are on the exercising pathway and on the proper lifestyle pathway, which I'd like to develop a little later on. And then if you look at these people, you say, oh, look, everybody's aging differently. Yes, but they are aging on two main pathways. And then the person on, say, the sedentary pathway can develop a disease at 30 if they happen to be that genetic makeup, or they can develop that disease at 60, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, whatever. So when you look at it, the first impression is that everybody is aging differently. Yes, they are, but it's not because of the aging process. Mm. It's because of the impact of the aging process in that particular person at that particular time on their particular physiology, okay? Whereas if you look at, say, you and me, right, and I would presume in exercise, exercise, we would find that there's a similarity between us. Granted, you bigger, taller, whatever, as wider it is. But when we looked at your physiology, we'd see that there is now the same aging process operating on this honed body produces the same sort of changes in your physiology as they are in mine. And so again, you can see that it is not the aging process which has changed, but it's the way we change the tissues on which the aging process can act. Well, and, and I appreciate that. And one of the things that struck me about, about reading some of your work, doctor, is that you make the observation, and I completely, completely agree with you, you make the observation that if we really want to truly study healthy aging, we should be looking at master's athletes. Because as you mentioned, the sedentary population are basically waiting for disease to occur. And, and I don't mean to be that blunt, but that's basically what's happening. If they're that's not active... Happening. It really doesn't make much sense to study their physiology in their later years. Why? I mean, what is it about in your observations of master athletes? How does being athletic and being fit into the later years? How does that change their physiology? How does that influence healthy aging? Okay. Well, the again, I need to put that into a context for the people who are listening to this. Oh, we need to say what is necessary for us to age healthily? And there are three components, and these are such boring components, the listeners are going to fall asleep. <laughs> but nevertheless, they are an active mind, mental well-being, correct weight and food for your 
body and movement. By movement, I mean movement, exercise, physical act, call it what you will. Those three components must be in place. And if you think about it, you'll immediately see that if you remove one of those components, there's no way you age healthily. Mm. And so what happens is, I think, because now I'm entering into a hypothesis, but I think this is what happens, is that if you have those three things in place, you have this body which your mind can now take to areas and, it, and events which you couldn't do if you didn't have this lovely fit body that you have. And making these executive conditions, executive decisions, which the mind does, in other words, what should we do? Where should I go? How should I change things? How can I alter my lifestyle? How can I change my job? All these things feed back and from the fact you have body, and we come back then to this coherent biological system in which there's mental well-being, there's honed body, correct weight, and then all three of them are operating together. So let's have a look at a master athlete, and we can immediately see that a master athlete has got all those things in place. They've got to. In other words, if you want to be in competition, you can't sit there and not have an active mind. You might as well forget about it. You can't be overweight because why are you in competition? You've got to be exercising because otherwise why are you in competition? So you've got all those three things in place. So if we study master athletes, as I've been doing, they provide us the baseline and which we can begin to dissect out what are the changes in their physiology that is happening through their lifestyle, through their lifetime. However, I want to again impress on another fact that to be, to age healthy, you do not need to be a master athlete. Now, this is very, very important because many, many people listening to this podcast don't envisage themselves as being master athletes. And I say right on, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be in these competitions. But you've got to put these three things. I call them the trinity. You can call them the three musketeers. You can call them what you like. You've got to have these three uh, mind, physical activity, eating well in position. So you don't have to do as much or as intense exercise as a master athlete. You just need to do that amount of exercise. Now, remember what's healthy aging Healthy aging is where there are none of the diseases of lifestyle. So you need to do just sufficient activity so that you counteract any effects of being sedentary. In other words, you get none of the diseases which are the product of being sedentary, the so-called aging diseases. So you can see now We've got to decide how much exercise should I do 
in order to counteract that. We've decided going for the burn, trying to climb Mount Everest, running a marathon. Yeah, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. But let me give you another bit of information. There's absolutely no evidence anywhere that a master athlete is healthier than somebody who exercises at the level at which the diseases of aging are kept on bay. We must not mix up being healthy, which I've just defined. Remember the WHO definition, it's exactly the same as that. We mustn't mix up being healthy with being able to climb mountains. That simply means we're more efficient at our chosen activity. Because if you are healthy, you can't be healthier than healthy, by definition. <laughs> if you haven't got any of the diseases of aging, you are healthy. So running faster, cycling faster, yes, it's exciting, but it just makes you more proficient at what you're doing. And I repeat myself, and I apologize to my listeners, there is no evidence that doing that, greater proficiency does not mean more health. And as I said, there's no evidence that proficiency and health are correlated to that extent. Well, doctor, you, you just, sorry for cut in here, but you just perfectly, you, you described my, the definition of fitness that I use with the podcast. My definition of fitness, doctor, is that it, fitness is having the ability to do what you want to do when you want to do it. it is, is when you look up any definition of fitness in a dictionary, there is nothing in that definition that talks about appearance. There's nothing in that definition that talks about, you know, what we normally like weight loss. Fitness, the definition of fitness is work capacity, the ability to perform, the ability to be active. And that's why that's why I was really excited about your work, because you're getting into that. And you're trying to get people thinking about being active. And, and what I think about and, and I'll go I mean, I'll, I'm going to hit this question in a second. But when you look at people, my generation, doctor, my generation, people born in about the 1960s and beyond, we're the first people to have access to health clubs and fitness centers throughout our entire lifespan because the fitness populate the fitness trend didn't really become popular until the late 1970s early 1980s when health clubs started popping up everywhere and now um and now when you look at it people who are in their 50s and 60s who've been exercising throughout their lifespan i think this is the first time and correct me if i'm wrong but this is the first time that we've had a generation of older adults who've been exercising throughout their lifespan. Is that something that you, you've kind of noticed in your, in your work that this is that we now have more health and not just I'm not just referring to masters athletes, but people that do go to a fitness center four or five times a week and exercise most days of the week. I think this is the first time in our history that we've had that population that we can observe and learn from. Yes, I, I think the population has remained steady at about 20%. In other words, all the people will go to gyms and do uh, do movement, physical activity, exercises, remain to that. And there always have been people around. But I think 
what changed it all was when they began to have competitions for most athletes. And of course, as a result of that competition, then people, there's always competitive people and they went for that. And of course, the beauty from my point of view of that is that I can follow now master athletes from age 40 to 80 because they all competing and they all physically active and they all uh, come under the definition of what I consider healthy and I can follow them right through the ages where it's impossible for me to follow you or a single person over those ages because how am I going to follow you for 50 years? I'll be retired. Will the next person who come in do the same thing? So we can't do it on an individual basis, but the master athletes allow us this big pool of information which we can tap into. So that is the real uh, advantage of looking at master athletes. Remember, the advantage is not in understanding health because they are just as healthy as people who exercise less, but they are a pool of people that we can tap into. So uh, I find that very useful and that's what we're doing in our research. However, I'd like to just also, if I could, Steve, expand this idea of exercise. Absolutely. If we look at a population of people, and I'm speaking now mainly now to the women, there seems to be that certain exercises, women, and I'm speaking from my experience with my wife and her friends and everything, is that the sort of exercises that one envisages that are happening in gymnasiums just do not appeal to them, and that's fine. But that doesn't matter because, again, we just need to engage in movement, physical, physical activity and exercise, which will bring our physiology up to that level where we don't become victims of the disease of aging. So there are dancing classes. There are village. We've got people in village halls doing things to music. There are clubs in which people can play badminton. There are people can do horse riding. People can do, there's a whole range of, of movement that people should be thinking of doing if this particular idea of going to a gym does not appeal to them. And I think that is a, a very important concept to make sure that we introduce when we're talking to people, yes, there is this way to exercise and get physically adapted so that you do not get the diseases, but there are many, many other ways in order to do this. And I think as people get older, okay, Remember that the ability to do movement goes down. And I can absolutely tell you that that is true because I used to be a champion long distance cyclist. 
and I can see that my ability to cyclist, no matter how I do it, is going down and down. And sometime I might have to begin to think, contemplate what it is I can do because I might be a danger to myself on the roads as well as other people. What other things can I do in order to substitute for that? And the answer is there are many, many other ways for me to get a physical activity which is appropriate to my age and my physiological condition that I'm now in. So whatever we do, we mustn't be prescriptive in terms of what we expect people to do. However, there is one part of the exercise regime which I'm going to be prescriptive, and that is we've got to do resistance exercises. Okay. There is no substitute anywhere for resistance exercises. And I'm sure you tell all your listeners, listeners is they should not confuse doing resistance exercises to bodybuilding, no, especially to Very all the women listening out there. Yeah. Do not confuse the two. Bodybuilding is a totally different thing. Don't even think about it. Resistance exercises are there to ensure that you keep the strength in your muscles that is appropriate to your age. And you need that strength because you can't fall. Once you reach a certain age in the mid-70s, if you fall and damage yourself, the consequences are disastrous. So you've got to keep up your physicality to the level that is appropriate to your age. And the only way you're going to do that is by doing resistance exercise in the gym or at home. It doesn't matter, but you cannot escape from doing resistance exercise. Well, and that that brings me to the question of how much strenuous activity should we do? Because and and the one one question I have on that before I get into to the the intensity is isn't resistance training, doctor? Wouldn't that be important to help with um with with glucose metabolism, carbohydrate metabolism? Because my understanding is in type one muscle fibers, that type one muscle fibers oxidase fat or, or fatty free fatty acids for ATP for fuel, whereas in the type two muscle fibers used in force production, that's glycogen metabolism. So I think, and this is just my hypothesis, I think one reason why onset diabetes is so prevalent in the older years is because older, many older adults aren't using their muscles for strenuous or for strength activities. Therefore, they're not getting the glucose metabolism or the carbohydrate metabolism from the type two muscle cells. And I think that's, you know, I don't know if I'm accurate with that or, or what, but, but in general, what role does strenuous activity? And I like the way you just said that because I look at a good afternoon in the garden, for example, a good afternoon of doing yard work, that can be very strenuous activity and that can count for a lot. My stepfather does that um, here in Southern California. My stepfather is almost 70 years old and he spends most of his days, he, he not only gardens for his house, but he does the landscape, he's on the landscaping committee for his housing development. So he's very active in that and I, I applaud him for that. But how, how, what role does strenuous activity play in the aging process? And is it safe for people in their later years? Yes, I think, again, you must do what's appropriate to age. But uh, 
let's talk about the Trinity because I, I think I need to just talk about that. Remember, we're talking about mental, mental well-being, keeping a proper diet and weight and doing exercise. Now, Steve, I'm sure you know, but your listeners might be surprised that for the amount of exercise that most of us are doing, now I'm not talking about professional exercise, exercise 12 hours a day. I'm talking about people who normally work or at home. They do about three hours of exit. They go to, they do, if it's gym or riding or dancing, whatever they do, they do about three hours a week, right? And that's what they do, and that's fine. That keeps them up there. That amount of exercise has got absolutely nothing to do with keeping your weight down, okay? Mm. There is no evidence, and I have looked at 25, what's the name, 45 years of research to show that that amount of exercise is sufficient in order to ensure that you keep your weight to the correct weight. In other words, I'm saying to you, and again, please don't fall off your chair, do not envisage exercise as a mechanism for keeping your weight down at the levels of exercise that most of us over 60s, over 70s do. It might be okay for a 30-year-old, but as you're getting older, it doesn't work. You're going to do less and less exercise as you get older, but the amount of calories in a pound of fat remains exactly the same, however old you are. So if you begin to think of exercise as a way of keeping your weight down, you're going to be doing less exercise but the amount of calories you've got to move remains the same, and you're going to hit a point where there's crossover and it's not going to work. The only way to regulate your weight, only way, you must think about regulating your weight by ensuring that your calorie intake is exactly what it should be. Mm. What does that mean? Well, that means now we leave exercise for what it was intended. Think about this for a second. We decided that we needed exercise to hunt, to go out there, to move. So why should we, we be surprised when I come along and say, oh, no, 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 that's not the way you use exercise. What you're going to do is now exercise Use your engine, use energy. You're using a system which is as biologically efficient as it can be to now move deposits of food which are stored in the highest calorie value that it can be. So you're using an efficient system to move energy which is stored at, at fat, which is nine, nine calories a gram, and it just doesn't add up. Mm. So you've got to make sure you don't eat too much. Now we can use our exercise the way it's intended. We can't hunt, 
but we can run, we can jump, we can do all those things which our evolution tells us that we should do, and now we can begin to see what it does to the body. There is no such thing as exercise for your heart. Don't fall off your chair. <laughs> How do I do exercise for my heart without affecting my brain? You don't have to explain that to me. How do I do exercise for my heart without affecting my gastrocnemius muscle? How do I do exercise for my heart without affecting blood flow through the liver? How do I exercise the heart without affecting my pancreatic secretions of insulin and glucagon and what they do? No, my friends, there is just exercise, right? An integrated system. Exercise affects every single system in the body. Now, if you want me to begin to dissect out its effects, we're going to spend at least another two hours here on deciding what its effects are. I'll just sketch them in. It affects your ability to think, increases oxygen. Not only that, when you exercise, your mind has got to tell your body to do wonderful things. So it's already jumping around doing things. It affects the way you respond in your immune responses. It affects your cardiac output. It affects the structure of your muscles. It affects the tissues, the fibers that you spoke about. So don't get, unless we were teaching a disease a program on muscle physiology or exercise physiology, I think let's keep ourselves in a slightly broader perspective. Let us just take the view that when we are exercise, we are keeping to our evolutionary heritage and we are doing things to our body for which our body is adapted and it does it to every single part of the body that you can envisage. So let's not worry too much about these mechanisms because I do not think they are sufficiently known. Why? One, because most of the people in which they did the physiology on were non-exercisers. That's mm -hmm. where all the data comes from. And two, a muscle not only influences itself when you're exercising, but it exports molecules to the rest of the body. And we haven't even begun to begin to follow what those molecules are doing. We know it'll change your immune system, but then we also know the so-called immune system will affect your liver. It'll also affect your bone marrow, also affect your, your muscles. So everything, look at it as a most beautiful integrated system. The only, it's not a problem, the only hitch is that as we age, the system begins to get to shrink, but it shrinks in a way which is coherent. 
it shrinks in a way which all the systems are still synchronous. However, our muscle strength is going down. Our ability to think is changing. We cannot do anything about that. All we can do is ride the, 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 the toboggan down the slide, secure in the knowledge that we are doing the best we can and ensuring that we are giving the aging process the hardest possible job that it can be as we age. And I think those are the kinds of thoughts that we should be thinking about when we're thinking about aging, exercise, mental well-being, and eating. Well, now, doctor, I appreciate that. And just for clarity, I, I didn't ask you your age earlier, and I've, I've seen it. I, I, I think you're at least 80, correct? 85. Don't, don't downgrade 80. me. <laughs> you're 85. Well, that's, that's pretty, but I mean... The point is, you're 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 a great example of, of how you do that and, and how you you know of your not only you not only study this but you you embody it. You, you're the living example. Now, isn't it important as we get to our later years? You talk about the Holy Trinity, and you're still working. Not Holy Trinity, just the Trinity. Well, sorry, but you but the, you look at the Trinity. So if we look at the Trinity of it in terms of being physically active, watching our nutrition and healthy behaviors, and being engaged. How important do you think mindset is? How do you, how important? You've talked about it a little bit, but I want to ask the question specifically because you still work. You're still involved. You're not just sitting in a home somewhere waiting for time to pass, but you're out there being actively engaged. How important is having that positive approach? It, it, that must be just as important as exercise. That's why you make it part of the Trinity, correct? Absolutely. I mean, if you had to say, what is the hierarchy? All right. I mean, in the Trinity, I would say, well, again, let me give you a little bit of analogy is that let's say my body and my biological system is a motor. Let's put it that way. So the first thing I need for the motor is fuel. Okay. But I've got to be sure that I'm giving it the correct fuel. I cannot give diesel fuel to a petrol engine, right? So for my body, I've got to ensure the fuel I'm putting in is exactly the fuel that I need in order for my body to operate properly and to keep to the correct weight. No argument about that. Okay. Then I've got an engine. So I've got to ensure that my engine is properly looked after, that it's serviced, that all parts are operating well, and that is physical activity exercise. Who's the driver of this machine? <laughs> the driver is the mind. <laughs> There's the mind sitting there with the steering wheel. And I think I've alluded to it before. Here you have now, and I'm talking as if the mind is separate, but I've got to do this because there's no other way to put the picture across. So now you have the mind in charge of a Rolls Royce, hmm. right? 
honed, right fuel, looked after. It's going, you can drive anywhere now. You can take yourself to regions that you never thought about. If you've got to drag your body along, you spend all your time worrying about how to drag the body along. You don't think about the horizons that can open to you. Say, so, oh no, I can't go there because I've got to drag this thing along with me. If you're driving a Rolls Royce and there are mountains ahead, you can, yes, there's difficulties, but I can do that. It changes the whole mindset because you've got the experience. You know you can do it. You don't have to worry about is part of me not going to be able to do what I want to do. And then look around you and you'll find that people who have done that, women aged 77 sailed around the world, Francis uh, Chichester sailed around the world, people climb mountains aged 70 that they could never do before. It opens up horizons that you never thought about. I was 70. I'd been cycling. I'd been doing a lot of physical activity. I was a doctor who had been taught that things were going to happen to me. I was going to get all these kind of diseases and I would deteriorate. There I was at 70 saying, where are all these diseases? And I began to wonder whether it was because I was exercising and looking after myself that this could perhaps be playing a part in the way I was aging. So you know what I did? I went back to university at 80, at 70 years of old. Wow. Okay. I was appointed a professor. And for the last 15 years, I've been doing research into health aging. Now, I give that story not so much to blow my, my ego up. I give that story because it's just another example of what possibilities open up because you have both the physicality and the mental attitude to take on these new challenges. And I also believe that if you are on the sedentary pathway, that is this disease pathway, and I can see it in my friends and I know what I'm talking about, I assure you, I'm talking about my 75, 80, 85 year old friends. If you begin to lose physicality, you begin to become frightened of doing things. You become fearful, what I call it's nowhere out there, the fearfulness, the fearfulness of aging, in which you don't allow yourself to become engaged in enterprises which need a fit and honed body. So you begin to, in fact, exacerbate your deterioration by not then giving your mind the chance to begin to make these big executive decisions of what to do next. And if you meet 
75, 80 year old people, you will see this fearsomeness. Fear, yeah, the fear, yeah, the, the, this fear in which they are afraid to do things. So you can see that pathway, the pathway of being sedentary, of not having the Trinity, not only cause a destruction of your, your physiological systems, but it also begins to impinge upon your mental abilities. And that, of course, as you've seen from my analogy of the driver, you take the driver away, you are in big, big problems. And that's a great, I love the use of analogies because I think that's so critical. And I know that's one of the big areas of looking at aging is keeping people engaged. And, and that's why trying new things, even our later years, is so important. Now, to get ready to wrap up, doctor, I want to be respectful of your time. What areas, what, what areas of research, you kind of just, you, you touched on one. What gaps do we have in our knowledge right now? You, you mentioned a little bit about the molecules from muscle. And I think, I can't remember the, the name of the hormone, and it might be GSK-111. And I, I can't remember what the hormone is. But I know there's recently, in one or two articles I read dated about 2018 or 2019, there's a new anabolic hormone that they're identifying that can slow down aging of muscle tissue. That's one example. I didn't, and I didn't have it prepared in my notes, but I know yes, they're, they're, go ahead. But what, what are the yeah, I, right yeah, don't forget, I don't believe any molecule. I think in order, don't talk about slow down aging. In other words, you don't slow down aging, you slow down the effects of aging. And I'm sorry okay. to be so pedantic, but it's no, very but it's important. Right. No, no, it's very important because you must understand that if I'm not exercising, then those molecules are not present that you're talking about. If I go to a sedentary and I look for them, I won't find them. Oh, and this is needs careful thinking about. There are four main categories of regulation, which we're just opening up now. Category, I call them, and my, my uh, people I work with, my colleagues, Call them category A, B, C, and D. Very simple. I'm sorry. We, we, haven't got, we haven't got much imagination. Category A are systems which are totally age dependent. There is nothing you can do about them. I will give you an obvious example. I can go into this, but I'll give you obvious examples. Say maximum heart rate. What do we use for maximum heart rate? We say 220 minus age. You notice there's only one parameter in that thing. It's minus age. You can do what you like. You might alter it a couple of beats here and there. Let's not get too pedanting here. But your maximum heart rate goes down irrespective of what your weight is, what you would. So that we can't do anything about. And there are many other systems which are doing that. The second system, category B, are op operations in the body which are age-dependent, but we can change them by exercise, okay? So what would that be? VO2 max, right? When we exercise, we can raise our VO2 max. And there are others. C. 
these are age independent, mm. right? Resting heart rate. In other words, throughout your life, if you follow your resting heart rate, it remains the same. But we can change that by exercise. If I exercise, I can slow down my heart rate. So here I have an age-independent category, but which is exercise-modified. And finally, as you would get, we've got systems which are totally independent of age and exercise. They stay the same throughout our life. You can begin now to envisage a totally different concept of physiology in relation to healthy aging. We have four systems, some of which are responding to exercise, some of which are not, some of which are not changing. And out of all that mix, we develop this wonderful integrated physiology that we call healthy aging. And so we are just beginning now to unravel what all these different types of mechanisms are doing. You can see it is so complex that we are just starting to unravel it. And what is rather interesting, all the work previously was done on people who were not exercising. When we started doing this deep physiological studies on people who were exercising, we could begin to see which mechanisms were changing as a result of exercise mm. and which mechanisms were remaining the same. So we've already looked at the immune system and my immune system is totally different from a non-exercisers. We've looked at mitochondrial function my mitochondrial function is totally different from a non-exercisers. We have different amounts of each of the four categories operating. So you can see, just think about it. You have four, four categories interacting. I think it's four times three times two, the various um, interactions you can have. So you can immediately see if I remove exercise, two of those categories mm. are going to change because there's no exercise. So category A, which is purely dependent upon exercise, uh, purely upon age, yes, it might be the same in the non-exercises in me, but the relationships between the two four categories are totally different. And out of that mixture comes healthy aging or a disease process. And so I can only, in conclusion, and talking to all those people who've been listening to me, thank you very much. If you hold to the Trinity, your probabilities of living 
a healthy lifestyle to the final years of your life is high. If you do not have that trinity in place, I'm afraid that the last two decades of your life are going to be supported by medicine. And remember, the medicines are not curative, so that although they will support the disease process, they do not stop a second disease appearing because the factors that made the first disease are still there. And you can end up, these are WHO statistics, taking three or more different medicines in order to sustain you while you're aging. Don't do it, my friends. Don't do it. It's much easier to stay active and to and reduce that risk. Do you lay this out in your book, The Lazarus? Is it The Lazarus Strategy? Yeah, it's The Lazarus Strategy on how to age well and wisely. It's all laid out in there. Most of what I've told you is, in fact, uh, the, the different categories of regulation to exercise, the master athletes, how to keep your weight down, what sort of exercise you should do, what sort of mental things need to be in your mind. It's all laid out in there. and. Um, I think I would like to believe that that book is the result of my medical education. It's result of my being a cyclist. It's a result of my being a researcher into healthy aging. And it's a result of being one of the subjects for that healthy aging. And I would like to think that what I have written there is based on as much fact as is possible. Well, if you are as active as you are at 85, then certainly I think you have something you could teach any of us on. That's exactly why I wanted to invite you to be a guest on the show today, Dr. Um, because of your work and because not only you do the studying, but you apply it. And I think to me that that's always, that's kind of the, it's not necessarily a trinity, it's a duopoly, but when you can actually do the research and then show, here's how you apply it. I think that's the most important thing. So this is a fascinating conversation, doctor, but I don't want to keep you too much longer. I certainly appreciate your time and I will definitely have a link down to the, uh, to your book to, to where people can purchase your book if they want to learn more about how they can age wisely and age healthily. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your travel. And it's been a pleasure meeting you. Again, if you want to see that interview, not just hear the interview, but you can see the interview, this will be up on the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube channel. If you're on Instagram, you can follow me on the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube well, there's the All About Fitness podcast feed on YouTube, but I also have the All About Fitness podcast feed on Instagram. I'm trying to be consistent. YouTube is All About Fitness podcast. Instagram is All About Fitness podcast. Go to both places, follow it. I'm trying to post for 2021. My goal is to try to post as many of the interviews as possible up on the YouTube channel. 
Plus, I'm also working with a team now. I'm trying to put up more informational interviews up. I'm going to be doing some webinars that I'll be put up there. And that's the other thing. If you go to, if you go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com, and sign up for my mailing list, you'll find out I'm going to be trying to do a couple free webinars coming up, especially as I get ready to release Ageless Intensity. I'll be putting out information out there about how do we use this, how do we use exercise to do what Dr. Lazarus talked about. How can we use exercise to achieve healthy aging? We're still, I'm, I'm relatively young. I'm in my mid-40s. I have another, what, 40 years, a little bit less than 40 years before I get to his age. So I'm at my half-life right now. If Dr. Lazarus is 85 years old, I'm 48. I'm a little bit more than the half-life. But I have a lot of living left to do. And admittedly, that, that, that's the selfish reason I do this podcast. I try to bring this information to you, the listener. But in reality, I love speaking with guests like Norman because it allows me to learn more. Having these conversations on the podcast allows me to learn more. And I love sharing that information. That's why I write the books I write. That's why I put up the information I do on my blog. That's why I do these podcasts. It's because exercise, as your Dr. Lazarus share, exercise allows us to age free of disease. I mean, there's a chance we could always catch disease and and gosh knows, I mean, there was, there was a young man a few years ago, maybe now eight or nine years ago, uh, rest his soul, Stevie Zarpis, I think that was his last name, Steve Zarpis, was a former Navy SEAL and had become a personal trainer here in San Diego. And he was maybe late 40s, early 50s. He was, he was not old by any stretch of the imagination. Still incredibly fit. Still involved with the U.S. Navy. And he, he did some of the conditioning program with the SEAL school over in Coronado. But he had a history of heart disease and he died of a heart attack maybe seven or eight years ago now. So yes, you can still be fit, you can still be healthy, and, and life is going to happen every now and then. But here's the thing, being healthy helps put, the, helps put everything in your favor. It gives you the advantage. right? So as we age, it's much it's much better option to age being healthy, to age being fit, to age paying attention to our nutrition. And that's why I wanted to have Dr. Lazarus on. I've read his research and I've included it in my book. And it really is. He had the practical standpoint, he had the academic standpoint. It really was quite an honor to speak with him. Hopefully you got something out of that episode. I certainly got something out of having that conversation with him. Stay in touch with me. Follow me on the Instagram, All About Fitness Podcast on Instagram. Go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my email list. I'll send you a free chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. You'll be eligible for getting free content that I'm going to be putting out. And really, as always, thank you for stopping by. And I do look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.